Welcome to The Sewing Circle, a women's history podcast. I'm your host, Peyton Alexander, and today we're going even further back in time than we've gone before in the whole 10-episode history of the show. What's the oldest story so far? 18th century pirates, maybe? Well, today we're taking it all the way back to the Tong Dynasty, specifically between the years 655 and 705. So for my history buffs out there, you know who's up today. It's the empress who was supposedly hated by men and gods alike, Wu Zetian. To be completely upfront here, ancient history isn't my forte. For me, I always get the feeling that these stories only survived because of really great manipulation and exaggeration, or else no one would have bothered to deal with it for several hundred years. And I'm definitely not disparaging those of you who are really into it, please don't get me wrong. I'm just extra skeptical. And in the case of Empress Wu Zetian, the people she pissed off were the ones in charge of documenting royal goings-on. Goings-ons? Goings-ons? Anyway, let's first talk about the beginning of the Tong Dynasty, a time known for incredible artistic expansion, and you know what's coming next. I'm really sorry to have to say it, but it's considered a golden age of Chinese arts and cosmopolitan culture. Tong China existed from 618 to 906, with a 15-year interruption made by our girl Wu, but we'll get to that later. This imperial dynasty was founded by the Li family, who deposed the short-lived Sui dynasty. Aristocrat and military leader Li Wan led the uprising along with his son and, surprisingly, his daughter, the Princess Pingyang, who organized and commanded her own troops. You could argue she was really the first general of the Tong dynasty, and so upon her death, her father ordered a full military funeral to be held for her, complete with a band. When he got some pushback about how women's funerals weren't supposed to have music, he reminded the naysayers that without Pingyang, he wouldn't be a ruler. Li Wan ruled under the name Gaozu until 626, when his second son, Taizong, staged a palace coup. He murdered the crown prince and his other brother and forced Gaozu to abdicate. So Taizong became emperor, and even though he reached it through truly horrific means, it seems he made for a good ruler that he took care of the Chinese. And now here's where Wu Zetian comes in. Wu was the daughter of a nobleman born in 624. She was educated, beautiful, and charming, and coming from a rich family, all of this meant that she had the opportunity to put her talents to use as a concubine in Taizong's palace. She was initially pretty low on the totem pole, performing duties like changing the emperor's sheets, but perhaps that's exactly how she got his attention in the first place, as there were nearly 30 other concubines in the palace. It's possible as some have alleged, that she was more adventurous in the bedroom than some of the other concubines, putting her in Taizong's good graces. I like the version depicted in Brazen, Rebel Ladies Who Rocked the World, where Taizong saw her taming a supposedly untamable horse and was then charmed by her wit. 
Whichever way, he elevated her to essentially being his private secretary, which meant that she had access to official government documents and was in the know about affairs of state. And at some point, Taizong's son and heir, Gaozong, also began to take notice of her. So when Taizong passed away, tradition dictated that Wu and all the other concubines had to be sent to a convent to live out their lives in celibacy and isolation. This was meant to honor the dead ruler, but God, how boring. Not to mention, you know, just the obvious misogyny there, but just uh, the intellectual and artistic waste. But because Gaozong wanted Wu to be with him, after a few years, he managed to spring her from the nunnery and bring her to the palace. By this time, he was married to Empress Wang, and there was another concubine holding a really prestigious position at court, a woman referred to as the pure concubine. There are a couple of different stories here about the dynamic between the three women. One is that Wu knew her best bet was to get on Empress Wang's good side before striking out against her. In another, the empress and the pure concubine realized the hold that Wu had over Gaozong, so they joined forces to try to get her cast from court, but ultimately failed. I prefer the first story, because I believe Wu was both cunning and patient. She gave birth to a couple of sons over the next few years, and as the mother of the future emperor, she held enormous power at court and began wielding that power to elevate family members to higher positions. And then she had a daughter. Now, a popular theory, one that tells an audience everything they want to hear about a woman that ultimately rises to the level of creating her own dynasty is that she waited until the empress was the last person anyone witnessed holding her newborn daughter, and then Wu herself killed the girl, framing Wong and the concubine for the murder. Even if the truth is the baby died of natural causes and Wu just capitalized on a terrible situation, Gaozong believed Wu's accusations, and he threw the other two women in prison, ultimately executing them. Some say Wu had the women's hands and feet cut off before drowning them in giant vats of wine, where she said something like, those witches can get drunk to their bones now. It's definitely a great story in establishing a ruthless, murderous usurper. I don't believe it, because why would you waste that much wine? It'd have, like, blood in it and stuff. By this time, Gaozong had married Wu and made her empress. The women had languished in confinement for a while because Gaozong had to deal with all their family members and supporters who held court positions too, finally enacting essentially a 7th century Friday night massacre, demoting and removing people left and right to get what he wanted. The newlyweds kind of ruled together, with Wu sitting on a throne at the same elevation as his. It was hidden behind a screen, yeah, but she was nonetheless seated at the same height and also just present for diplomatic meetings and conversations around governance. The pair were called the Two Saints or the Two Sages for their collaboration. She conspired behind the scenes to have other sons of Gaozong's put under house arrest or exiled, eventually creating the conditions to make her eldest son the heir apparent. Around 660, Gaozong suffered a devastating stroke. And Wu was already primed to run the government because of her education, her observations, and the influence that she'd already amassed. So she essentially told Gaozong and his advisors what to do until Gaozong's death in 683. 
Concerned for her safety, she started a secret police force that was loyal only to her and would spy on her opposition. She had a few things to accomplish at once now that her husband was dead. For one, the Empress was really clever and knew she needed to build public support for respect for women. It was already a slightly liberated time for women, as we saw with how educated she was, and women weren't expected to be as submissive as in other eras. But it wasn't a walk in the park to be a woman in the 600s either, not just because, you know, history, but also because the prevailing belief system, Confucianism, denounced women in power over men, likening it to a hen that crows at dawn. So she ordered scholars to compile biographies of famous women from history, and she also started placing members of her mother's side of the family into important roles in government. At the same time, she managed to position her weakest, most easily manipulated son onto the throne in place of her older, more competent sons. So as dowager empress, she was still controlling everything behind the scenes. Eventually, she convinced her emperor's son to abdicate. He'd probably seen the ruthless ways she'd removed or executed people who stood in her way and decided to nope on out of there. So now she was empress of her own right, stepping out of the shadows and fully taking the reins as the first and only empress regnant in the history of China. This began a little period known as an interregnum, where she established her own Zhu dynasty in the middle of the Tong dynasty. Of course, at the time, it couldn't have been known, it'd just be an interruption, but we'll get to that in a little while. As ruler, she fired all the old officials and advisors and hired men who were capable and admired, not just the well-connected. She genuinely listened to the people of China, placing suggestion boxes around the kingdom. All those bureaucrats who had gotten their jobs again because they had the right dads, well, she was coming for them. She made them take tests to see if they were actually qualified, and she opened up the job listings so that essentially anyone, even peasants, could apply. Of course, the people who'd long held these jobs and got booted out weren't too happy, and she also got into some petty palace intrigue-style squabbles, like wanting a whole bunch of royal men to divorce their new wives because she wasn't impressed by the women's relatives, and she had no problem accusing someone of treason or witchcraft if it meant sending them away, or worse. It was like Game of Thrones, or for my particular nerds out there, the Wheel of Time series with damn near as many characters— In 684, she had 12 entire collateral branches of the imperial family massacred when some of them tried to remove her from power. But, and I know that's a big but to just pivot away from mass murder, but she did a really great job as empress too. She oversaw the reconstruction of the giant wild goose pagoda, an impressive monument to Buddhism containing gold statues, and then, y'all, I don't even know how to talk to you about the Longman Grottoes. Let's start by saying Wu was an incredible patron of the arts, and also, evidently, a fairly vain person, I imagine you'd have to be, to get to the level that she did. But the Longman Grottoes are a UNESCO World Heritage Site located on both sides of the Yi River in the Henan province. And if you're in front of a computer, please just go Google it. So all up along these stone faces lining the river, people would pay to have caves, niches, and stone statues carved directly into the stone to honor Buddhism starting in the mid-400s. 
There are over 100,000 Buddhist sculptures tucked into some 2,300 grottos all through these limestone cliffs. Seriously, you, you really have to take a look at this for yourself. One little niche is as small as an inch, and then the statue that is likely modeled after Wu, paid for by Wu, is over 56 feet tall. It's called the Verokana Buddha and is often referred to as the Mona Lisa of the East. She supported and encouraged poetry and literature and helped lift Buddhism to popularity ahead of Confucianism. She was also something of a champion for the regular people of China. Like I said earlier, she actually listened to their needs, providing relief where necessary and improving living conditions. She was pretty popular then among the common people, but not so much with the aristocracy. So we're starting to get into the late 690s, where Wu has been empress over a successful kingdom for 10 years, and she starts to realize that she's getting old. She began mentoring a handful of young princes and convinced these men and some of the princesses to swear oaths of peace and protection to one another. She continued promoting talent and also continued manipulating and exiling people in the court, at one point ordering three people at once to commit suicide. In the winter of 704, 80-year-old Wu Zetian fell ill, and she'd only allow her lovers, the young Zhang brothers, to attend to her. People accused the Zhangs of taking advantage of her, saying that they were treasonous, but Wu wouldn't hear it. When she became sick again in the spring of 705, some generals and high-ranking officials staged a coup against the Zhangs, killing them in February. Wu abdicated to one of her more competent sons, now Emperor Zongzong, and her 15-year Zhu dynasty officially ended in relative peace. She died in December of the same year, and Emperor Zongzong had her buried at an elaborate tomb with her husband, Gaozong. Her tombstone, standing nearly 21 feet tall and topped with dragons, has been left blank all this time. And so we return to why I don't really get into ancient history that much. Did she really have hundreds of people murdered, even killing her own baby daughter for political gain? Or did she just anger a bunch of men who then got to write about her later? Would she really have wasted all that wine? They're certainly fearsome and conniving stories, and if read in the right way, they just make her seem like a badass. A skeptical reader may infer that her promotion of women's rights essentially amounted to establishing and maintaining her own legitimacy, and like we saw with Marlena Dietrich in my very first episode, Wu also knew how to manipulate her story. In addition, I didn't run across one article that implied she ran the kingdom into the ground. Really, it seems her populism invigorated China at the expense of some terrible men who'd been entrenched in government. She probably did do some of the things she's been accused of, but what royal or CEO, for that matter, hasn't broken some eggs to make an omelet? So thank you for listening to The Sewing Circle. You can find my sources on my website, sewingcirclepodcast.com. There you can also find back episodes and sources for all of them as well. You can follow me at TSC underscore pod on both Twitter and Instagram. And uh, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next week. Bye.